بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اما بعد اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير Amin Rabbil Alameen. Dear respected listeners, dear brothers and sisters, Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. Let us all turn to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for a moment and ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to bless us in this gathering and allow us to leave this gathering in a state that our sins have been forgiven and allow us to sit in this gathering in a state that we are absolutely focused not only with our presence of our bodies but the presence of our heart, mind and soul. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that allow His Tajalli of Noor to fall upon our hearts, manifestation in His Noor to fall upon our hearts, let it revive our dead hearts and allow us to hear that which we must hear, need to hear in order to bring a change in our lives and allow this dars and all of our, the lessons that we attend may make a means of answering our questions and removing doubts and become a means of us getting closer to Him. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. Ayah number 39, inshallah, will continue uh, the la- from the last portion of it, Allah Azza wa Jal says, بَعْدَ عَنْ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ أَنِقْذِ فِيهِ فِي التَّعْبُوتِ فَقْذِ فِيهِ فِي الْيَمِّ فَلْيُلْقِهِ الْيَمُّ بِالسَّاحِلِ يَأْخُذُ عَدُوٌ لِي وَعَدُوٌ لَهُ We've explained this. وَأَلْقَيْتُ عَلَيْكَ مَحَبَّةً مِنِّي وَلِتُصْنَ عَلَى عَيْنِي and thus I did cast upon you love from me and that you should be reared beneath the care of my watchful eye. The first part, let me just translate that. Toss him into the basket, then toss him into the river, then let the rivers cast upon him the shore. An enemy of mine, an enemy of his shall take him in. And then Allah says, thus did I cast upon you love for me, from me and that you should be reared beneath the care of my watchful eye. So in this, in, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, showing and reminding Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. This is a... Uh, this the verse is is explained to Musa salam that I have always been there uh, looking out for you, even if we don't ask for help, and even when you're too young to ask for help, when you're too weak to ask for help, um, you don't know how to ask. But as your Lord, I am looking out for your best interest. And since Allah subhanahu wa taala has this master plan, which Musa salam is part of. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is making all the different parts of the world work to serve him. So Musa alayhi salatu salam is a human being. But he's a very special human being because he is a messenger of Allah. And the messenger of Allah, he has a job of in connecting people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now everything must fall into place. And everything must take care of him. You have a diplomat. In order to make sure this diplomat is able to do his job, the country stands behind the diplomat. It's just one person. But do you all know that one person represents the entire country. When an issue arrives, he's the one who speaks on behalf of his country. If some things don't go too well, that ambassador or diplomat is summoned to the uh, you know, parliament or the state department or, or, or the White House, or whatever the case may be. And if a person wants to end the ties with the country, they expel the diplomat. So what happens? That diplomat represents an entire nation. So Anbiya and those who work on behalf of the Prophets, they're representing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen. And so just like a government will ensure that all the needs of this diplomat are taken care of, 
and everything is provided in the best possible manner. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of all the needs of His diplomats, all the needs of His messengers, and those who do the work of the prophets. Any effort, anything that is required to fulfill the obligation of connecting people with Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make sure this prophet has it, is ready, ready to... Uh, to connect people to Allah. So Musa alayhi salam is already is so young baby, but what's happening? Everything is falling into place in order for this diplomat who is still a baby to grow up into this amazing messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is ordering, he's, 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 he's commanding the a lady, the mom to do something. She has no idea. She's going against all logic. She's throwing her baby into a, a, a basket and tossing it into the river. Who does that? But the mom is doing that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants her to do that. And then he's ordering the ocean. He's ordering the river. That I want you to do this. He's ordering the river. This reminds me of uh, uh, what we covered in Ramadan. The beautiful st- section from Hayatul Sahaba, Mawlana Yusuf Khandalbi, Rahmatullah And we talked about, there's a whole section there. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the, um, the, the creation of Allah. Rivers uh, or oceans, you want to call it. Bodies of water, fire, land, wind. These powers of nature, Allah made them subservient to the prophets. Due to the fact that they did the, I'm sorry, they made it subservient to the Sahaba. To the Sahaba, because they walked in the footsteps of the prophets. So the story of Umar Khattab, he sent Amr ibn As to Egypt. And he became the conqueror of Egypt. And then when he arrives in Egypt, the people of Egypt said that we have a habit, we have a custom here. He saw preparations are being made for their annual you know, you know, annual Eid or annual fest, some festival. And they said that in this festival comes, we take one, uh, one young girl and she's kidnapped. And then and this girl is, is adorned in a very beautiful, nice manner, in a very, uh, the way a princess is adorned. And then we go and we cast her into the river. Basically, she drowns to death. And this is the sacrifice we give to the river in order for the river Nile to flow. Because our whole livelihood depends on the river Nile with, with what it provides. And this is a custom that if we don't sacrifice yearly one young girl and throw her into the river alive, then the, the river will stop flowing. And the, uh, the, 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 the fish and the livelihood, the food that we get off of the river will be gone. And we will all perish and die. We won't have food, to, water to drink. We won't have water to wash our clothes, take bath, and we won't have food. Amr al-Asadullah saw this and it's a new place. You know, he just conquered. He's not a visitor. He's a conqueror. And he, you don't want to ruin the economy of the whole place as soon as you enter, right? Because, I mean, you need, you need this place to thrive. What are you going to do? But this doesn't sit, sit well with him. Why should well, even one life is too much? Even one innocent life is too much for a river to flow, for the livelihood of a whole city, even if it's just once a year. But that's just not acceptable. That's, that is the value of one life. So he writes to Umar al-Khattab and he says, what should I do? Well, I'm, I'm perplexed. What am I supposed to do? They say this is the custom for centuries here or hundreds of years, however many years. What are we supposed to do? Umar anhu said, oh, you know, absolutely not. You cannot allow them to sacrifice any life. You cannot allow them to take a girl and throw her, innocent girl, into the river for the sake of this river flow. Instead, I am sending you a letter. And I want you to take this letter and take this letter and throw it into the river. Take a piece of paper, just like as, as 
apparently illogical it is to put a child into, the ba into a basket and throw him away thinking that he's going to come back alive. That apparently that doesn't make sense. But Allah has a plan. So similarly, what is a letter going to do? Huh? What is a letter going to do by throwing it into the river? So when the letter was received from Amin al-Mu'mineen, Amr Khattar anhu, it went along the lines that Min Amin al-Mu'mineen ila nahr al-Nil. Imagine what a letter from Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar al-Khattab to the river Nile. That is how the letter is written. He addressed her. If you flow out of your own will, then don't flow. We don't need you. Stop flowing right now. If you flow on your own will. But if you flow by the will of Allah, then I ask you in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you continue to flow without this type of requirement. Something along the lines, the last line is, that if you're running, in, if you're flowing under the, with the name of Allah, by the will of Allah, then you cannot put, stop flowing like this. And so when Amr al-Asa received this letter, he placed it inside the river as commanded, and that was it. That never, they never had to go back to that. Now I don't know, I know this story is authentic. Now what, is the what was exactly happening? Allah knows best. The, thought, the only thing that comes to my mind is this is shayateen playing tricks. The shayateen who want people to sacrifice you know, innocent kids. If you look in the history of Halloween, you'll see that that's exactly what happened. Trick or treat was not very nice. Trick or treat was actually similarly picking up, plucking little innocent kids. And they were sacrificed at the, at the altar of the devil. They were sacrificed in the name of Satan on that night. It's a very shaitani night, October 31st. And so they would go pick up little kids. And then eventually it became, you know, when, uh, when, uh, when the Catholic Church, when the, when the Christ, uh, Christianity took over those regions and they have this um, pagan rituals that are now trying to be uh, whitewashed and trying to, you don't want to offend anyone, but at the same time you can't like, you can't like continue with that, but you can't also demolish it. So then they put on a different garb on it. And then now you see what it is. It's a hallmark holiday or whatever you want to call it. But the essence was child sacrifice. I remember once we here in Ramadan, I'm sorry, in, uh, on, we had a little Halloween program. <laughs> we had a program, a youth program on the, uh, right, on, uh, to keep kids off of the streets. And the pit, mashallah, was like packed, the masjid with kids. And we were visited by a scholar who, on that, who happened to someone, another scholar brought him here. He was a convert who has spent many years abroad studying ilm. MashaAllah, eight, nine years studying abroad. And he was just visiting America. And it, it just so happened that he visited Chicago and it just so happened that he visited Darussalam on that October 31st. And we're sitting in the office talking. And we're just like, oh, what's happening? Why are there so many kids here? We're like, oh, we have a youth program. So he was a, um, uh, not only a, 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 a Christian previously, but also ordained priest. So he... Well, he shared some amazing experiences about this. And he was just saying that October 31st is not a joke. It really is, some, it is, it is a very satanic, satanic, pagan holiday when so much shaitaniyat goes on even till today. And as a uh, priest, he was talking about so many experiences he had with exorcism, where they're pulling out, you know, jinns from people's bodies. People would come asking for help. So he said, I have a lot of experience in this. And experiencing in South America, Central America, with these devil worshippers. And the type of filth of sihr, etc. they do. 
And so that was interesting listening from his perspective of a, as, a, as a previously a Christian. To what degree uh, the satanic worshippers commit acts of sorcery uh, and, and magic. And what, what are the things they use? The blood of animals that are sacrificed. The blood of is animals a big thing. And the blood of children. And they use also, of course, dirty blood, uh, you know, feces and blood of, 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 of women, etc. mixed together. All this, the most basically disgusting thing they will use, the most uh, repugnant thing they will use in order to attract the, attract the attention of shaitan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like He loves what? Ikhlas. What does Allah love? In Allah, yuhibbu tawabin wa yuhibbu mutatahirin. Allah loves, Allah loves purity. Allah loves purity. Shaitan loves najasa. The more najis you can be, the more filthy you can present, filthiness you can present to shaitan, the more attractive he becomes to you. Simple as that. So all the amal, the black magic that happens, it's, it, in, order to, in order for people to do that, you have to sell your soul to the devil and you have to be willing to do the most unthinkable, most dirty, disgusting things. Whatever I tell you is, is worse than that. Right? Because I don't know all of it or much of it. But it's, it is definitely what I've heard and read about. Very disgusting things. Anyway, the, the, the story started off with the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the river Nile completely change its tactics, change its ways, at the command of who? Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Same Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he tells, he told Tamim al-Dari radiallahu anhu, that same Sahabi who saw, the only Sahabi who actually came face to face with, Dajjal, right? And that's an amazing story about how he comes and he relates his whole incident of seeing Dajjal in an island. And he related and to Rasulullah Rasul liked that story. He told everyone to come to the masjid. He told Tamim Dari, I want you to share your story with all the Sahaba. What happened? So he shared his story. So Tamim Dari radiallahu anhu, there was a fire, a volcanic fire came out of one of the mountains outside of Medina. And Amir al-Mu'mineen tells Tamim Dari, can you go take care of it? Like, hey, can you go shut the lights? Hey, can you go take care of that fire? He said, Amir what do you want me to do? Go push that fire back. And he says, I can't. How, what am I supposed to do? And Amir al-Mu'mineen then orders him. He says, no, you, I, with my command, I'm telling you, go do what I ask you to do. Go push that fire back. So at the insistence of Umid al-Mu'mineen, Umar al-Khattab anhu, he reluctantly got up and left. And that's what he did. He just, on the, on the, with the command of Allah and the command of Umid al-Mu'mineen, oh fire, please go, please go. And he literally pushed it back into the crater that he had come from. And back into the mountain. That whole volcanic eruption pushed back in. Or whatever type of eruption this was, whether it was a full volcano or just a fire coming of a mountain, regardless. Amir al-Mu'mineen said, go push that back in. I am being just. I have established justice on this land and don't mess with me. Safina radiallahu an was a freed slave of Rasulullah He's in northern Africa. He's part of an expedition. He gets separated from his uh, army. And now he's lost in the northern African jungle. All of a sudden, a predatory animal, a lion shows up. He looks at that and he says, listen, I am Ana Safina Rasulu Rasulillah. I am the messenger of the messenger of Allah. So please don't mess with me. Again, I'm ambassador. Ambassador's ambassador, okay? I'm ambassador's ambassador. Safina's Mawla Rasul says, I am the serve, a messenger of the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he speaks to him. And he says, I've been separated from my uh, army. And so, uh, do not harm me, but rather lead me. And this, uh, the Hayat al-Sahaba mentions this. All of these hadith you'll find in Dala'ilun Nubu of Imam Bayhaqi rahmatullah alayhi. All these stories. So he says, all of a sudden he humbled himself 
he began to move in front, walk in front, and uh, Safina began to walk behind. And any type of animal that would come out from right or left <laughs> to try to attack, this lion would turn its attention and, and, and push away that predatory animal until it safely led Safina back to where the rest of the army was. Then you have Umar al-Khattab again, who is giving the khutbah. And in the midst of his khutbah, he yells out and says, Ya Sariya al-Jabala, al-Jabala. Oh Sariya, Sariya was his commander of the Muslim army that was hundreds of miles away fighting a battle. And in the midst of the battle, Umar anhu, a veil was removed for him. A veil was a live camera all of a sudden. All, right? He could see what was happening in the battlefield. And he could see that the, the mountain is behind and Umar, uh, the Sariya is with his army and they're, about to, they're being defeated. And if they need to win, they need to take shelter of the, towards the mountain. And either the enemy was coming from behind for an ambush, either that, or Sariya was being ordered to take shelter and climb up on the mountain and fight instead of where he was. Anyway, he said this and, the, and carried on with the khutbah. A month later or after some time, the entire army returned back victorious. And then when arriving, after arrival in Medina, they actually inquired and they said, Ya Amin al we heard your voice. What was that about? And the people said, yes, definitely. In the midst of the khutbah, Amin al did make a random, uh, apparently random call to Yas Ausariya. Look at the mountain. It says, hundreds of miles away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed us to hear that voice. Ala ibn Hadrami, and amongst other incidents as well. Radiallahu anhu, conquering Bahrain. They arrive at the, at the uh, uh, shore, and the enemy is on the other side. Ala ibn Hadrami looks at everyone. Is there anyone here committing major sins? Ask the whole army. Making sure, anyone committing major sins? Alright, you better repent, otherwise it's not going to work. What are we going to do right now? We've got to make sure no one's committing major sins. Once that's cleared, imagine, you know, imagine an army, Yahwan. Subhanallah. Like seriously, we, we, we know if the front row would be very lucky today if they don't commit major sins. But imagine an army of people, soldiers, not committing major sins. That's why the Sahaba were where they were. So no, no, we're not committing major sins. Okay, now we're going to go. Everyone into the river, into the sea. And so they all jump. And they, they go walk in and they cross over the entire body of water. You can imagine what happened to the enemy when they saw the entire army of the Muslims crossing over the river right then and there. They lost their mind. They said, this is not, these are not humans. How can we ever fight with such people who walk across the water to get to us? And the companions who were with Ala ibn Hadrami say that even the hooves of the animals did not get wet as we crossed over. So these are some of the incidents I've shared with you where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the forces of nature subservient to the Sahaba because they worked and they walked in the footsteps of who? The prophets. And so if today, any one of us uh, will walk in the footsteps of the prophets and do the work of the Prophet والسلام, which is inviting people towards Allah and caring about the ummah, then remember the Sahaba were not prophets. They were humans. They were very special humans, but they were humans like you and I. Very special, definitely. They were Sahaba. But they were not prophets. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the forces of nature to serve them because they were diplomats. So you, the option is mine and yours. If you want to become a dip, today we say, my spouse doesn't listen to me. My child doesn't listen to me. My car doesn't listen to me. My phone isn't working. Nothing seems to be working today. 
Everything that reports to us is trying to become rebellious. Subhanallah. They say your own shadow doesn't support you today. Your own shadow doesn't support you. It's so true. It, that's what we feel like. The earth is so large and expansive, yet it seems so constricted. We have no place to hide and to run. Life seems to be so challenging. The reason it's become so challenging and no one seems to be listening and caring about us is because we've stopped caring about Allah and His Rasul. My beloved brothers, this is it. If we make our niyyah right now, that I am a true follower of Allah and His Rasul وسلم, and I am a diplomat of Allah, Khalifa of Allah, Khalifa of Rasulullah وسلم, and I'm going to be a follower of Rasulullah Sunnah. That's what, that's anytime you want to do something, what would Rasulullah وسلم, do? That's it. You know, people come and ask, should I go to this type of occasion? Should I go sit in such a place? Would Rasulullah, if he got that invitation, would he go there? You ask yourself. Would he gladly sit there and just watch what's happening? Any invitation you get to go anywhere, ask yourself this question. Would Nabi be comfortable sitting in this type of situation? Would he sit there and enjoy and, you know, just you know, look how many times I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm just sipping my tea, just watching. This is the sunnah. Would Nabi sit here? And just watch the way you and I were doing. This is one of my teachers one day, subhanAllah, he told me. We're in Mecca walking. And he said, you know, we have really lost the jazbah of the Sahaba. There was music playing on a car. He said, do you really think Bilal or Khabbab or Khubayb would just walk by and say, Choro bhai, lakum dinukum You play music, you play whatever one in your car. That's nothing to worry about. He said, do you ask yourself, would a Sahabi just walk by? Would a Sahabi walk by seeing Islam being trampled the way it is today and say, it's not my problem? And you know the answer, obviously not. They would give their life, but they would, not be, uh, they would not be able to handle seeing Islam being treated the way it's treated today. And this is where Abu Bakr said, is it, How is it possible that the deen can become deficient while I'm alive? What did he say this for? What did he say it for? He said it for simply the rope, the zakat, the people who used to give zakat. When the zakat collectors went to go collect the zakat of, of animals, he said, لو لو I swear by Allah, if they don't give me a rope with the animals, 20 cows, 10 goats, whatever you're giving, if you don't give me ropes for them, and if you used to give these ropes to the zakat collector of the Prophet I am going to wage jihad against you. Because how dare will I allow this level of deficiency in the deen while I'm alive? Either I'm dead, or if I'm alive, this is not happening. This is an important, very important point I want to, I want to share here, is the ownership of deen. Why did we lose ownership? You know, we say, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. The imam is doing something, the community is doing something, the board is doing something. But the deen is, doesn't belong to the imam. Deen doesn't belong to the board. Deen doesn't belong to wealthy donors. Deen belongs to you and me. Deen belongs to every one of us. And just like you wouldn't allow anyone to just go over to your car and scratch it, no matter who he is, would you? You wouldn't allow that. How obsessive you and I are over our cars. How obsessive you and I are over our things. Don't you think the deen is more worthy than a twenty-five or $30,000 car? Don't you think the deen is more worthy than a hundred, dollars $200,000 home? Why did we lose the ownership of deen? When deen is attacked, when deen is not followed through, it's supposed to create within us a jazbah of ghayrah. It's supposed to create within us this fervor, 
that this is my deen and my deen is under attack. Now you might not be able to do a whole lot, but you must feel the pain. You must feel the pain. And you can't simply say, Are bhai, kya kare? What should I do? You know, this is not something I can do. No. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Look at these kids, these brothers and sisters in Palestine and Syria and everywhere else. These little seven-year-olds, when they see their houses being attacked, bichara seven-year-old, what is he going to do with a SWAT team in front of him? Helicopters, drones, everything. But do they just sit there quiet? Do they? These seven-year-olds will take a little pebble and throw it. The seven-year-old will spit. The seven-year-old will say something. He can't watch his house being demolished like that. He's got taghayra. He says, I don't care. I know I can't stand up to you. But, but I have inside me this, I'm alive inside. I'm not dead. I'm alive. And I will die kicking. But I'm not going to just die quietly like that. Subhanallah. You see these little kids overseas when they go through that. Why can't we have that level of ghayra for deen? That when you feel the deen is being diminished and demolished by people, that you can't sit back and say, it's not my problem. Absolutely not. If we are representatives of the prophets, then we have to feel the pain. And I came across right before Maghrib here, an amazing subhanAllah statement, Allahu Akbar, ajib, of, of Abdullah Masood radiallahu anhu. He says, يُوشِكُ مَنْ عَاشَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يَرَى مُنْكَرًا لَا يَسْتَطِيعُ فِيهِ غَيْرَ أَنْ يَعْلَمَ اللَّهُ مِنْ قَلْبِ أَنَّ لَهُ Abdullah Masood says, Soon a time will come, some amongst you will live to an era that he will see something wrong and he will not be able to do anything about it except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come to know that in his heart he was disliking what was happening. He will not be able to make a change because his hands are tied. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely know that this man hated what he was seeing. My beloved brothers, there is no level of iman below this. If you can't feel pain for the deen being demolished and destroyed by people of money and people of knowledge who are being misled by shaitan, then what's our deen? We really have to ask ourselves, have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Speak to ourselves, look in the mirror and say, really, what level of iman do I have? Nabi sallallahu said, whoever sees amongst you evil, he should change it with his hand, right? If he can't do it, with his tongue. And if he can't do it, then he has to change it with his heart. There's multiple explanations of that. But one of the explanations, the more famous one, more commonly quoted is, that the fact that a person needs to at least feel guilty and hurtful, and hurt rather, in his heart. And that is the lowest level of iman. So when you read a news, piece of news, or you read a WhatsApp message about any aspect of deen throughout the globe or in your own community that is changed or changing, you cannot just simply gloss over it and move on to the sports section. You can't. Instead, you have to take a moment and shed a tear. And say, Inna Ya Allah, please forgive me. Please forgive the ummah. And Ya Allah, I can't do much. But at least I'm going to show you that I am unhappy with this. Can we do that? Can we do that, brothers? Tell me yes, inshallah. Anytime you see any deficiency of deen, show Allah your pain. Show Allah your pain, man. Let your, let your, let your facial expression change. Try to shed a tear. 
Feel the, show Allah the pain in your heart. That I'm hurt over the deen because the deen is my deen. It's not anyone's sandbox that can come and play with it as they want. This is my deen. This is the, Nabi, this is the deen that the prophets sacrifice their lives for. If we, inshallah, begin to walk in the footsteps of the prophets, Allah will assist us the way Allah assisted Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. And Allah will make amazing things fall into place. What, did, what else did Allah do for Musa besides making the river flow for him and making the river's direction go in a certain place? I cast upon you love for me. Okay. Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. Subhanallah, apparently according to so many of the ulama, didn't, wasn't, didn't have the most attractive features. Didn't have what? The most attractive features. Like Yusuf But nonetheless, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him beloved to the army of Fir'aun, to the wife of Fir'aun, and eventually Fir'aun. And so this is what we learn. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to get you somewhere, what does He do? He can put you, He, can, he will put your mahabba into the hearts of the people. Because the way to get your word across is to make people fall in love with you. Remember what I just said. If people hate you, they're not going to listen to what you got to say. That's why Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for 40 years, what did he do? He served his nation. He built what we call street credibility. He was the most beloved person. He was Sadiq Al-Ameen. He wasn't you know, shooting fatwas as soon as he, as soon as he was born. And say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. No, it wouldn't work like that. 40 years he served the people selflessly. And until he proved his love for humanity, and then he said, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. So if we want to make effort within the community or on our own family members, we have to do that through excellent character. And we have to, Jalbul, yani Qulub, we have to earn their hearts. This is what you learn from Nabi Sallallahu da'wah and the Prophet's da'wah is that become beloved to the people. How do you become beloved? Through good character, through khidmah, through service. Serve them so much. Many people say, I have a sibling, I have a cousin, I have a friend who's left Islam. What should I do? And the answer is, don't engage in debates, don't argue, don't even give da'wah to anything. Just continue to have good character with them. So, what you say, win them over through your good character. You know, al-insan wa abdul ihsan, a person becomes indebted to the person who does good and kind to them. So make them feel indebted to you with the amount of love you shower upon them. Where they have no option but to say, man, I don't like anything. I don't like anything you stand for. But I cannot hate what you stand for because I love you. You are so beloved to me. And I've seen these type of scenarios, by the way. People say, you are so, I mean, you've done so much for me. There's no way I can hate what you stand for. And today, Aj, what's happening? Opposite is happening. That the parents, for example, or teachers, are being so harsh that a person says, I love Islam. And I love the deen. But I can't stand you. So now I have to hate Islam. And I have to hate everything you stand for. I have seen many cases of this. So the person says, he wants to be a follower of Rasulullah He likes the sunnah, he likes the deen. But because of the actions of the Muslims, and not a, 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 a new Muslim, or a non-Muslim says, I am forced to dislike Islam due to your actions. It's, it's the complete opposite. We're supposed to make Islam beloved by making people love us through our character. And then they'll say, okay, by cl eyes closed, whatever you are, I'm going to become like you. Subhanallah. 
That's, that will happen. That has happened, continues to happen, will happen if we make an effort on becoming, trying to make, becoming beloved. Now, becoming beloved to the people by no means is through, uh, you know, mixing and messing around with the deen. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about mudahana. You know, change the deen to win people's hearts. Like I said, you can't change the deen. You can't. You want to give your house, give your basement to someone. Sure, give your family room, give your master bedroom to someone. You have a right to do that. But you cannot change the deen because it never belonged to you in the first place. It never did. So when someone says, can you make this accommodation for me? Brother, I am not shari'ah. I'm not Allah nor His Rasul. I cannot change the deen to accommodate you. But you want me to accommodate you in my home? Yes, you can ask me for that. I'll do whatever I can. But the deen, it is what it is. Oh, but someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get upset. Someone, we got to work on them. I'm sorry, that doesn't work like that. You can work with them at home. But when it comes to the deen, there is no compromise. There's no compromise. You can compromise by giving your wallet to them. <laughs> Go ahead, mashallah. Why are we giving sadaqah from something that doesn't belong to us? I'm giving charity, Fulan will pay for your bill. Go eat whatever you want. Right? Using someone else's credit card and say, charge this. Let the whole crowd eat. That's what we're doing. When we are, we're char charging the deen. We say, yeah, yeah, no problem. Change this sunnah, take this out, take that out, take this out, as long as the people are happy. Recently, some, you know, when, when someone was telling me about how some program went, and they said, brother, the, youth, the board said the youth were happy. Someplace in another part of the world. And he said, what kind of dalil is that? The youth are happy? I mean, what, what kind of proof are you using? The youth are happy with what? With what? What is this supposed to mean? How do you even share that? The youth are happy. Hence, we can do whatever we want. This is, ask, is Allah and His Rasul happy? In this gathering that I'm sitting in with Rasulullah Wasallam, could we ask Him to share the closing remarks and the dua? Ask yourself. The way we're sitting over here, I think so. Why not? I definitely think it would be Rasulullah inshallah, would definitely sit with us here. But you ask yourself in every other tamasha that's happening out there, could you have Rasulullah invited? Like you, literally, you've lost your bearings. Ask yourself, in an Islamic gathering or non-Islamic, can you ask Rasulullah to come? Remember these words, what I'm saying. Anytime you want a fatwa, inshallah, as long as you have a good heart, you will be able to answer this question. Can I invite Rasulullah to this gathering or not? That, that you will understand whether that gathering is kosher or not. This whole aspect of accommodation. Accommodate people in your home. Accommodate them with your wallet. Accommodate them with your credit card. But don't give discounts out of the deen to accommodate people. Because that deen, you have no authority to give discounts from it. Someone says, brother, I cannot follow the deen. Can I, do, can I pray one salah a day? Okay, four salah you're missing. That's, that, by the way, it's not off. You're going to get sin for that. But you can start with one salah. And uh, I'm not going to say you, it's, it's, it's forgiven. That you're not going to get sin for it. Five salah is obligatory. That's my job to tell you. How much you pray, that's between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Isn't that right? But if someone you know, but he's gonna only pray one. But don't, how can I go say just pray one? How can I say just pray one? See, it's five times daily salah. May Allah make it easy for you to fulfill His obligations and make it easy for me. Leave it at that. We don't need to say, oh, how many are you praying? What are you doing? Leave that. Your job is to give, this is the deen, you follow it. That's what He does. So, muhabbat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put through akhlaq. That's one of the explanations. Now, obviously, Musa salam, did he have akhlaq at that time? Uh, when he was a little kid? Obviously not, right? So, what do we learn from here? 
that sometimes Allah Jalla Jalaluhu will put His Rahmah on a person. That's one explanation. Number two, Allah will put His Noor on a person. That His Allah's Noor in a person and Allah's Rahmah on a person will make him a magnet for love of the creation. So you're wondering why is this person liked by everyone? Because Allah has made his heart a place for Allah's mercy to descend. And Allah's muhabbat to descend. And Allah's ma'rifah to descend. And so now this heart becomes attractive to the people. So this is a ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says in Surah Taha, the end last verses of Surah Maryam, sorry. Indeed those who believe in Allah and who do good deeds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place for them love. So this is the nuskha for us. Any of us are saying, okay, where do I start? I want to become beloved. Allah is saying to us straight up last few verses of Surah Maryam. Believe in Allah, do good deeds, and Allah will make you beloved to the people. And being part of good deeds, obviously, great character. So Musa salam, okay, another point that ulama say. If you are beloved by your community, there's a girl who's very, you know, who's got a 10 proposals coming to her because of her beauty or because of her akhlaq or because of her family lineage. There's a guy who's got 10 proposals coming to him because of his skills, because of his beauty, handsomeness, and wealth, and this and that. Don't allow this to get to your head. Because the only reason people are asking for your hand in marriage and the only reason proposals are coming to you is because Allah has allowed people to think that you're beautiful. Allah has allowed people to think that you're attractive. Otherwise, if Allah switches the light off, or let me put it the other way around, if Allah were to switch the light on where our sins and our mistakes were to become exposed, then you will have absolutely no proposals. You will have absolutely no one gawking at you, no one looking up to you, no one trying to get an autograph. All of this love that we sense is happening because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just allowing us to Cover, uh, allowing our faults to be covered and allowing people to love us. So many beautiful points, mashallah, from what ayah that the ulama have, uh, you know, shared. And so that you should may be reared in the care of my watchful eye. Where is he being reared? In the, in the, in the Kaaba? In Hijr Ismail? In the Hatim? No, he is being reared and raised in the palace of Fir'aun. But Allah says you are being raised under the care of my watchful eye. So for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take care of someone's tarbiyah, you don't need to be raised in Makkah or Medina. You could be raised in any part of the world, but if Allah is going to shower His blessings upon you, you'll come out amazing. The condition is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must be glancing and putting His glance of mercy upon us. That is why there's a beautiful dua. Allahumma knufni bikunafika alladhi la yaram wa hrusni bi'aynika allati la tanam. Oh Allah, guard me with your eye that never sleeps. Enclose me and protect me in a manner that nothing will harm me. And wahrusni and guard me with your eye that never sleeps. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Rasulullah, what did he say? Wataqallubaka fi sajideen. In Surah Shu'ara, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, we see you. Indeed, we see you. And we see the way you make sajda amongst those who are making sujood. And another place Allah says, Innaka bi a'yunina. Indeed, you are in front of our eyes. Indeed, you are in front of our eyes. So being in the eyes of Allah means you're under the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think it's an important point here to say 
that this story of Musa and Fir'aun will teach us how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had Musa salam prepared for the job by having him raised in the house of Fir'aun. We've talked about this in the first session as well. Beloved students, young brothers and sisters who are listening to me here and those who are listening elsewhere. Please understand that if you are connected to the deen in this day and age, you're connected to your local masjid, you're connected to your ulama, you are trying your best to follow the seerah and the sunnah, then this is ayah will apply to you as well. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is raising you in the heart of in the heart of materialism and in the heart of postmodern thought and in the eye of the storm and in the place in the place where the ideas of the Dajjali era are being prepared. And so now by you, uh, this whole crowd in front of me, I don't, any adult here, I can safely say there's not a single adult sitting here who is not a college graduate. You couldn't say that in other parts of the world. And I can safely say every person here speaks fluent and reads fluent English and writes, you know, okay. <laughs> right? So what, what does that mean? You're a group of college educated individuals who've been through this system and who understand English, and you are obviously at a, alhamdulillah, a good uh, level of, of, uh, of interaction and, and, and ability to interact with um, uh, you know, media and social media and various types of, of, of thoughts process, or, or various types of isms that are being presented across all um, platforms. And so now for you to be raised here and to be listening to the talk of deen is the most amazing gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because now, you know how to combat these things. And you can actually go and raise awareness throughout the globe. Many of you come from, many of us all come from, you know, our parents are from foreign, different countries. You can go to your local college or where your mom and dad graduated from. You can go to your local village and you can gather the people and give them the most amazing enlightening talk that they've ever heard in their life. That a local person probably would never be able to do so. You get what I'm saying? Because you have the gift that you were raised, born and raised here, educated here, and then connected to the deen. So you have this amazing lens. You have this amazing view of the fitnas of today that another person very likely does not have. So our presence here is a huge ni'mah of Allah. May Allah keep us safe and sound. And may Allah save us from being tested. And may Allah allow us to grow in our ilm, in our amal, in our basira, in our farsightedness. And allow all of us to take amazing, to do amazing work of deen. This is the era we're in. We're in the postmodern pre-Dajjali era. And so right now, we are so blessed to be having these type of discussions in our tafsir and other, other uh, you know, gatherings that most others would not be blessed to have this type of conversation. And these thought, these ideas are not even discussed. And you are having this discussion maybe as a full-time college student or a working professional. You take this, youth, you're all intelligent people, think about it, add what you need to, and go present this to people across the globe and your own platforms. Bring an awakening within people. Allow, the, allow people to see what's out there. Allow people to understand what's right from what's wrong. My beloved brothers, I genuinely feel all of you listening here have that ability to do so. But you just got to present yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah accept you all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Behold, your sister walked trailing alongside the river. She started, her mom said, Go and follow behind your, your brother. See what's going on with this, with this box. Where did he go? 
So behold, your sister walked. Eventually she arrived and she saw the box was picked up by the army of the Pharaoh. And now the box has gone inside the palace. So some days go by, obviously. She investigated. She figured it out that he's inside the palace. She shows up, knocks on the door. Says, who are you? And she says, I hear that there's a baby in the palace. And they say, yes. I hear that this baby isn't uh, drinking milk from the mother's milk. And said, yes, we're very worried. Well, guess what? I, came, I saw, you know, we saw the job offer and I'm here. Not for myself, but I know someone who's an excellent wet nurse and may be able to uh, take care of this child of yours. Shall I direct you to someone who will foster him? Allahu Akbar. What happens? They said, yes, yes, bring, her, bring this lady. So she goes back and brings that lady. And as soon as Allah says, وَحَرَّمْنَا عَلَيْهِ الْمَرَاضِعِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made all of the wet nurses haram upon Musa. What does that mean? Not haram in the sense of sharia saying haram. means Musa والسلام, simply wasn't accepting him. He wouldn't drink. He's a newborn baby who hasn't drank milk for days. And now everyone is thinking he's going to die. The, uh, Asiya and Fir'aun, Asiya is very worried. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then created this, what we say now, this whole scenario. This is what you're seeing. This story is not specific to Musa salam, my beloved brothers. Anyone who walks in the footsteps of the prophets, I repeat, and anyone who does the work of the prophets, you will have your own version of this story in your life. And you will see Allah Jalla Jalal who will make the most amazing miracles happen in front of you. How did this happen? I remind you, no one owns their heart. No, if, you don't own your, if you don't own your hands, you don't own your feet, you don't own your heart. Who owns all of this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? Indeed, the hearts of the children of Banu Adam are between the fingers of Allah. He may turn them in any direction He wishes. And the hadith, or Quranic verse says, Know very well that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes between you and your heart. So you cannot control your heart. Rasulullah he said about his wives, he said, Ya Allah, I am distributing my days and nights equally between my wives. I'm doing what I'm asked to do. So don't hold me accountable for what I have no power over. What does that mean? The heart, the emotional attraction towards one over the other, if it happens to be more, please don't hold me accountable because this is لَأَمْلِكْ I have no control over. What I do have control over is how I distribute my wealth and my time. And I did that equally between the wives. But when it comes to my heart, that's not in my hands. Subhanallah. So we all need to remind ourselves, no one's eyes, hands, feet, mind or heart is in their hands. It's in the hands of Allah. So don't get phased by what you are going through. Turn to Allah and say, Allah, turn the hearts of people in a certain direction. Turn the minds of the people in a certain direction. Turn the hands and the feet in a certain direction. Make that dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many students here, they say, I want to come and study deen. But my mom and dad say no. Or I've studied one year, I want to continue on to the second year. My mom and dad say no. And the answer we always tell them is, your mom and dad can't say anything. It's all about Allah Azza wa How have you, how much have you convinced Allah that you want to study? So instead of complaining about parents, you need to speak to Allah. How many days have you fasted so far for this situation? How much sadaqah have you given? How much sadaqah have you given? How much have you fasted? And how, much, how many rakas of tahajjud have you prayed every day to fulfill all, anything that you're talking about? You, many times people will do this for getting a girl, right? Uh, but okay, alhamdulillah, that's good. They should do that also. 
In order to get married, a guy or a girl, this is what you do. Use a'mal. Use a'mal. Quran, recite, tahajjud salah, dua in the night after tahajjud, and fasting and sadaqah. These three things are key for anything you want to get, get done in life. Sadaqah, fasting, and nawafil. Especially the ones in the night. Will get you whatever you need. So let us not get phased by what is presented to us. That ye ni ho sakta. This cannot happen. Say ye hoga. Ho kar rahega. Agar Allah chahe. If Allah wills, this will happen. This will happen if Allah wills. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then now brings Musa alayhi salam back to the mother, safe and sound, under the watchful eye of Fir'aun's army. Hey, this is now the prince. This is the, ch- this is the child of the army, of the Fir'aun's. So now he probably even had some security outside the house. No one better mess with this baby. Number two, guess what? You're getting paid to nurse the baby. So now Musa alayhi mother is getting paid to do her job as a mother. And he told her already a while ago. What did he tell her? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told her that just th- give, throw him. Throw him into this thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be sad. We're going to send him back to you. Just, just do it. So many times people think that if I give, let's learn another lesson. Allah wants you to give up things in life in order to gain some things in life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need what you and I have because whatever you and I have came from where? From Allah. Allah doesn't need it. But He asks you to give it up. For whose benefit? For your own benefit. So we have to understand this story that Allah told Musa, Mother of Musa, all of you, we have, we have to give up haram, looking at haram. We have to give up to listening to haram. We have to give up to attending haram gatherings. We have to give up haram relationships. We have to give up eating doubtful food. So I can't do this, I can't do this. Can there be a sacrifice? Anyone here can be asked. A greater sacrifice than taking your newborn child and throwing him in a box into the river. Can it be a greater sacrifice than this? That's what she was asked. She was asked to give such a huge sacrifice. But then she was immediately told that this sacrifice is for your own benefit. He's going to come back. Just watch. He's going to come back. Allah is telling all of you the same thing. Allah telling me that give up haram for him for me. And I'm going to give you such halal that will baffle you. That will baffle you. This every thousand dollar, hundred thousand, I got this investment, I got this opportunity. Just give it up. If it's haram, don't get involved in it. If it's doubtful, don't get involved in it. If it involves interest, don't get involved in it. Go through the right means and say no to haram. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you such enjoyment and halal that will baffle everyone. This is an amazing lesson we learned from this story. That she gave up her son only to have her son come back to her with a much greater protection Money and everything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Faraja'naka. We returns you to your mother. Ajib, Allama Sha'rawi rahmatullahi mentioned something beautiful here. He says the word fa'al raja'ah is lazim and muta'addi both in, the, in Arabic. I'm going to say a few words so the students of knowledge will understand. Raja'ah is a fa'al lazim and fa'al muta'addi both. For example, Raja'ah Musa ila qawmihi. Alright? Faraja'naka. You will see places where raja'ah will be used as fa'al muta'addi. And then you will see places that Raja is used fair lazim. Raja Musa ila qawmihi ghabban asifa or you know other places where Raja is used without harf, harf jar basically. 
you can find those places. He said, what's the difference? He says, Raja'a, if it comes without a harfajar, it means, fi'lazi means something is going back by itself. If Raja'a comes with a maf'ul, with a adverb, object, it means fi'l muta'addi. It's similar like, arja'tuka. Like I have returned you. Faraja'naka means I have returned you. So what's the difference between Raja'naka, we have returned you, and Arja'naka? Okay, this is a simple question, okay? What's the difference between Raja'naka and Arja'naka? And the difference he says is, Arja'naka is when clearly you are being returned by someone. And Raja'naka is when you're returning back, it looks as though you're going back yourself, but in, in someone is actually pulling you back. So Raja'anaka, what does it mean? That you're going back, apparently it looks like you're going back yourself, but you're being pulled by someone else. Arja'anaka, it, doesn't, it looks, it's very clear someone's holding your hand and taking you back. Now let's look at Musa salam here. It looks like Musa coincidentally came back to the mother. But that's not the case. He didn't coincidentally come back to his mother. He was brought back. This huge phenomena, this huge scenario was created, so Musa would be brought back. Subhanallah. Who brought him back? Allah brought him back, but in a very beautiful manner. So learn, let's learn from here to give up for Allah, and Allah will bring us much more than we can anticipate. Why did he come back? So that her eyes may be comforted. Taqarru comes from the word qarar. Qarar means for something to remain steadfast, something to remain firm in place. Qarar. Qarar means, in this case, Qurratul Ain. The coolness of your eye means you look at something and it's so beautiful that your eyes are glued to it and don't move away from that. That's called qurratain. Ankogi tandak. Coolness of the eye. They say the eye will not move away from jameel, from something beautiful, unless it sees something more ajmal, something more beautiful. That's what naturally we look at something beautiful unless something greater in beauty passes by. So, Qurratu Ayn means something that, ex, that, is expound, that exceeds all beauty for you. That you say, that's it. I don't want anything else. And so this is the dua we ask from Allah for our children. That, Ya Allah, make my children Qurratu Ayn. Make my children and my family. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhuriyatina Qurratu Ayn. Ya Allah, grant me qurratu ayn in my family and my children. That there's nothing more beloved to me than my wife and my kids or my husband and my kids. Done. I don't care if I lose the whole world, but my, I got my family. I don't care if I'm not making a ton of money. I don't care if things are, I got into this issue and that issue. Alhamdulillah, I got family. And my beloved brothers, today we got everything but family. That's what we're going towards. Super successful, professional, but not married yet. Or was married, got divorced. Or was, uh, was about to get divorced. Or, you know, is planning to get divorced. This is what it is. Families are falling apart. There's no qurratayin in the family. And money like no tomorrow. You'll burn the dollar bills, also won't finish. But what's the point? There's no happiness in the life. Family is important. This is what we got to focus on. What we need to focus on, on ourselves as young men sitting here, is that we learn how to become good husbands. And then Allah will grant us great wives. And the women who are listening, that we learn how to become great wives, that Allah will grant us great husbands. And then Allah will then grant you great children as a beautiful parents that you become. 
That once you have a beautiful family, alhamdulillah, then whatever you're going through, Allah will make it easy for you. So this is a dua. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun. Say ameen. Waj'alna lil muttaqina imama. Say ameen. Ya Allah, make me the imam of the muttaqin. What do you mean imam of a muttaqin? If you are, as a husband, you are the imam of your household. So now if you are the imam of the household, and, if, and now you are being asking Allah to make you the imam of who? Muttaqin. So your last name is Khan, Ahmad, or whatever. But guess what? You're also Muttaqin is your last name. Meaning every member of your household has taqwa. And you as the father is the imam of Muttaqin. That's the ideal life, isn't it? That every single member of your household fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. MashaAllah. May Allah grant all of us this. And let's make a habit of making this dua super regular, right? So Qurrat Ayun is your eyes don't go anywhere. Because today, everyone's eyes are going elsewhere. What's happening in the neighbor's house? What's happening to the in-laws? What's happening in my sister's home? What's happening in my brother's home? Because there's no happiness within the home. Sometimes we, we complain, why is my spouse looking elsewhere? And the reason is, let's ask yourself, why is your spouse looking elsewhere? The question. That's a very good question you asked. Now let's bring a pencil and a paper and talk about what are we doing possibly in a wrong, wrong. Let's for example, a child comes in, Allah forbid, mean this never happened to any of us, and says, Dad, I hate you. If that happens, what, is, what are you going to do at that time? You're going to hit someone? Or you, a 15-year-old comes and tells the dad, I don't like you. Or are you going to sit down and you're going to break down crying and say, what did I do wrong? SubhanAllah, I gave all my money, sweat, blood, and tears to this kid. And now after 15, 18 years, he comes and says, I hate you. Which unfortunately is happening, by the way. But at that time, you're not going to resort to hopefully anger, because that is just going to create even worse problem. Instead, you will sit down and think, where did I go wrong? And I, I, I humbly request the couples who are going through problems in their marriage to do the same. If someone says, I don't like you, or to say, I'm thinking of something else, or my mind is always somewhere else, or I'm falling into this haram. Ask yourself, what possibly am I doing wrong that has made my spouse, who was not like this before, into, who he, who, into the miserable person they are now? Because it's very hard for us to sense our own mistakes and to see our own faults. And if we do this exercise, then we will inshallah be blessed. Hopefully we will be able to see what are the mistakes maybe we are making in our marriage that has resulted in this resentment. So may Allah grant all of us the ability to introspect and to become better spouses. And all of those who are not married, who are sitting here and listening, may Allah Jalla Jalalu make you all, before you get married, in the best person to be. The best human being, the best husband, the best wife. And then may Allah grant you even a better wife, even a better husband than you are. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. وَلَا تَحْزَن and so that she may not grieve. Allah said, I don't want the mother to grieve. And then he tells Musa, Moreover, I blessed you again. We, do you remember? You had killed someone. And then, Yet we delivered you from fear and anguished. Meaning we protected you. We all know the story. He ended up accidentally slapping. He slapped the Qibti. And Musa His, The slap of Musa was so strong, he ended up dying. Right? Yeah, and I'm sorry, not Qibti. He killed the, the one from uh, one of the Coptics. He killed, yes, he killed one of the Qiptis. And one of the people of the Bani Israel said, Oh, you know, don't kill me now. Just like you killed the other one. So that's how the news spread. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved Musa alayhi salam from being brought to trial and being killed. Thus we've tried you with great trials. This is the story of Musa alayhi salam. 
The story of Musa is Fatanaka Futuna. What's Fatanaka Futuna? You went through a you went through a lot. Allah is saying, you went through a lot. And so the story of Musa is a story of sacrifice. No pain, no gain. When you, you and I don't sacrifice for the deen, nothing will happen. So many times people ask, brother, I want to start a non-for-profit. I want to open up a madrasa. I want to open up an orphanage. I want to open up a masjid. I want to open up this, 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 a whole bunch of things. Can you give some advice? And the one, one piece of advice that I hear from my parents and my teachers and my elders is, number one, you got to be sincere. And number two, you better be prepared to give everything you have. Otherwise, my bed job, please sit down. You know, don't sit here and talk about trying to do something unless you are willing to pay the price. Seriously, why walk into a, you know, an exotic car dealership if, you don't wanna, if, you don't have, if you're not willing to pay the price for it? You imagine you're going to buy a $300,000 car. Ah, come on, man. $300,000? Come on. This thing's 30, brother. One zero off, you probably don't know how to write. This probably should be 30. You probably add an extra zero. He'll say, get out of here. If you want to buy a $30,000 car, this is not the place for that. Go from here. That's it. Is. If you want to do the work of Dean, you better bring sincerity to the table and you better bring what? What did I say? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Otherwise, sit down, please. Sacrifice. Give everything you have. Give everything you have. People think money runs madrasas. So I have a lot of money. I want to start a madrasa. Okay, what are your children? All my children are physicians. Okay, well, I don't think that's going to work. I'm going to hire a bunch of ulama. No, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. Why don't you do something? Why don't you open a medical clinic? Do something else. Madrasa is not going to run by your money. You need to have your own sons first. If you can't, if you, your children haven't bought into what you're doing, how do you expect the kids of the ummah to buy in what you're trying to sell over here? So many people think that if I have a lot of money, I can run a madrasa. In America at least. And I tell them, no, it's, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. You have to have your own blood invested into ilm. Then with that money, inshallah, things will happen as well. But first, make sacrifice yourself towards ilm. So Musa salam's story is of difficulty. Moreover, you stayed for years amongst the people of Madian. ثُمَّ جِئْتَ عَلَىٰ قَدْرٍ يَا مُوسَىٰ then you came here. Came where? Where is this discussion happening? Mount Tur, right? On the way back. Then you came here as I have decreed, O Musa. This is, remember, the conversation that's been going on when he came to take firebrand to warm up and warm up his wife and find some guidance. I have reared you for myself. Allahu Akbar. What a beautiful honor Allah is giving Musa. I have chosen you for myself. I have reared you for myself. Go forth, you and your brother. Go forth, you and your brother. Alright? ayati with my signs. And you shall not either of you be slack in my remembrance. Allah accepted his dua. Which dua? We talked about it last week. What was the dua? Yeah, the best dua that any brother made for a brother. Ya Allah, make my brother a Nabi. And we talked about extensively the level of fikr and concern we have to have for our siblings, relatives, and friends. <coughs> he made that dua, Allah accepted that dua and granted him prophethood through the barakah of Musa salam's dua. Allah said, you and your brother go with my signs. Okay, remember on your way out, don't forget the phone, don't forget the credit card, don't forget the car keys. That's what we tell our kids. That's what we tell ourselves. That's what the wife tells the husband. Husband tells the wife. Uh, you know, that's fine in its place. What you need to say is, You're going, I'm going to a big interview. I'm going to a big meeting at the work. 
You know, my dear son, my dear daughter, my dear wife, my dear husband. Don't forget Surah Yasin. Don't forget La ilaha illa subhanak inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. Don't forget your morning du'as. Don't forget your manzil. That is the reminder on the way out of the door. Out, as you're leaving, remind each other that if you're going for a big, big you know, job, you have to ask Allah's help through His remembrance. So Allah tells you, I know you're up against Pharaoh. He's not, a, not an easy cookie. But make sure you don't slack in my remembrance. Go forth, both of you, to Pharaoh. Indeed, he has trans- transgressed all bounds. What do we learn from here? Don't give up, don't give up hope in anyone. Musa salam sat in Pharaoh's palace for decades. He knows exactly what type of man this guy is. He's not very kind and loving and understanding and malleable. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, go. He doesn't say, ya Allah, what's the point? I've been there, seen him. No. You don't know when Hidayah, the spark of Hidayah will come about. But I've been there for three decades, I saw him. It doesn't make a difference. Your nisbah has changed. Look, it's a very beautiful point I'm just sharing here with you. Nisbah has changed. You say, I'm going to buy coffee for the past, you know, five years from the same guy. Now you got excited, you attended a dars, you're like, man, I need to become a da'i. I need to improve my character. I need to also live up with my akhlaq. Let me... Should I go invite this person to the deen? Someone will say, brother, you've been working with this guy for three years. I mean, you know, look at he's always cussing out the Muslims, he's Islamophobic, he's this, that. What's the point of speaking of Islam? The nisbah has changed. You, previous three years, you were a mere customer. You never went as a da'i to him. You never went with the intention that I'm going to go to his store to invite him towards Allah. Now that the nisbah and the connection, or rather I should say the intention that you're going with to meet him has changed, the results may actually be very different. Because you're no longer going in as a customer. So don't ever write off anyone even though you may have spent years with them. Because you are spending years with them just as a colleague, as a a customer, as a, a client. How often have we turned our, switched the cap that I'm going to go into this meeting as a representative of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I'm going to be doing. I'm going to pray two rakats al Hajjah. I'm going to do constantly doing dhikr. I'm going to be reading Rabbi Shahli Sadri, and I'm going to go and invite him to the masjid. Our Muslim colleagues, non-Muslim colleagues, whoever they are. So never give up on anyone, and make sure that you have hope and in Allah's giving hidayat. Go forth, indeed he has transgressed. فَقُولَ Now how should you speak to him? Yet say a gentle word to him. Why should you say a gentle word to Firaun? He's not very gentle. لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرُ So that he may become mindful of Allah or reverent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that he may fear Allah or he may take heed and he may repent and, 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 and come towards back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what is so amazing in this ayah that you probably have heard in other places is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Musa and Harun that speak to Fir'aun not in a harsh manner, but in a soft manner. Because softness is the way to go. They say, um, whoever, man yuridu an ma'ruf, Whoever wants to ask people to do good, then he should speak in a good manner. Nice kindness and gentleness is the way to go when inviting people towards the deen. One king, he asked a scholar to come give him some advice. 
So the king said, he told the scholar, why don't you come give me some advice? And the, the scholar, subhanAllah, he's like, this is my chance. Let me dig in. And he went on a tirade. He said, you're like this, like this, shame. Look what you're doing, look what you're doing, look what you're doing. The, 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 the king listened, but the kings of those times are so knowledgeable. He said, hold your horses, why are you speaking to me like this? Then he said, listen, I'm a Muslim, I'm the leader of the Muslims. I am not Fir'aun. I'm way superior than Fir'aun because Allah is blessed with Iman. And you, you're a scholar, but you're nowhere near Musa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent someone who was far superior to you than to someone who was far worse than I. And Allah told him to speak softly. Why is it that then you're using such harsh words with me? SubhanAllah. So that's why some of the ulama said something beautiful. They say that Allah Jalla Jalalu, I'll say in Arabic, they say that, um, Ya Rabbi, إِذَا كَانَتْ هَذِهِ رَحْمَتُكَ بِمَنْ قَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى فَكَيْفَ رَحْمَتُكَ بِمَنْ قَالَ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْأَعْلَى Allahu Akbar. وَإِذَا كَانَتْ هَذِهِ رَحْمَتُكَ بِمَنْ قَالَ مَا عَلِمْتُ لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَهٍ غَيْرِي فَكَيْفَ رَحْمَتُكَ بِمَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Say, oh Allah, if this is your mercy with the one who says, I am your supreme Lord, then how will your mercy be with the one who says, Allah is my Lord. Because that's what Fir'aun said. Fir'aun said, I am your supreme Lord. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so the, the, what we're saying is, Ya Allah, if you're so nice to the one who says, I'm your supreme Lord, we don't say that, we say, Subhanahu Rabbil Ala. Uh, glory be to our Lord who is the most supreme. Imagine how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be with us. So we have been ordered to speak in a kind manner whenever we are trying to uh, give, yani generally speaking, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, He says, وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْ فَضُّوا مِنْ حَوْلِكَ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, If you were to be harsh-tongued, harsh-hearted, these companions, and I'm adding, who are willing to give their life, not willing to, would wish, would like to give their life for you. These same companions, لَنْ فَضُّوا, they will run away from you. If you were to switch your softness with harshness. And if your tongue were to become harsh, then these people run away. My beloved friends, this ayah is so deep. If Allah is telling this to Rasul regarding the Sahaba, what about our spouse? What about our children? What about our colleagues? Do we seriously think anyone's gonna listen to us if we're harsh? Right? So this is something, may Allah give you and I the faham, say ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us softness in our effort of deen. And allow us to control our emotions, control and protect us from the shaitani whispers when we're giving, when we're doing the work of deen, so that we do not switch gears. Anger for Allah is something, but harshness in our words of da'wah is something else. Anything that needs to be explained can be explained in a, in a nice manner and softener. They said, Oh our Lord, inna nakhafu. We fear indeed an alayna that He will assail us. Fir'aun will assail us. Or he will arrogantly transgress. Qala, Allah responded, La takhafa. Have no fear. I am indeed with you both. I hear and I see. I hear and I see. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Musa and Harun, Allah is, I'm with you. Don't worry, you're going to be doing my remembrance. The remembrance of Allah is the way you stay connected with Allah. As long as you are remembering me, I will be remembering you. There's much to be said on this ayah here of how to earn Allah's ma'iyah and to, to have Allah to be with you. 
how to have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with you. And inshallah, we will continue from this beautiful uh, topic of the ma'iyah of Allah, making sure we have Allah on our side from next week. Right? What to do to make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have on your side and what type of gift this is. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted this gift to Musa and Harun. That I'm with you, listening and watching what you're doing. So before we will do a, a, a dhikr and conclude with a dua, I would like to open up an opportunity for those who are listening online and those who are present here to uh, ask any questions. I wanted to add, we do have time, alhamdulillah, between Maghrib and Isha now. So I wanted to ask this opportunity. You can see, you can just take, take a picture of this QR code. And so uh, 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 questions can remain anonymous. And we can, inshallah, try to, uh, your best to ask relevant questions to what was discussed today applying what we talked about or any issue, other specific questions that you may have. If there are more specific fiqhi questions, you may refer to our website, masjidds.org forward slash questions uh, or questions. And there are Dalal Ifta will answer questions. But if anything related to the tafsir here, any of the topics that are covered, you can go to uh, this uh, website and, and the meeting number is 1536600 or press the QR, you know, to go through the QR code and ask inshallah. We'll try to make this a regular in our tafsirs. Um, so people have an opportunity to um, ask what, the, what thoughts are going through their mind. And additionally, inshallah, we'll then after that conclude the dhikrs. We have Isha, alhamdulillah, today at, um, at, at 1020. Okay. Um, some use Umar as a proof to be stern in their da'wah. What do we say to that? A beautiful question. Umar anhu, as stern as he was in his da'wah, because he was stern when he, uh, when he, you know, as a, as a, as a police officer, same thing. If, if imagine someone, a police officer or law enforcement is attending my dars, and they say, we gotta be soft. So we'll just, we'll just say, please slow down from now on. No, no, no sirens, nothing. We'll just, we'll just whistle up people and say, please slow down. A law enforcement officer, subhanAllah, he's got his own place. If he starts being soft and kind like this, it's gonna be a mess. Amirul Mumin Umar anhu is the supreme authority in terms of ensuring the law is established in his land because he's not a, just a da'i. What is he? He's the enforcer on behalf of Allah and His Rasul as the Amir al-Mu'mineen. And he has to ensure that the laws are not broken. That, that's what he's fulfilling that duty. At the same time, at a personal level, if he was giving da'wah to someone and he exceeded the boundaries, he was always open to correction. You all have heard, he gave, he gave a whole talk on, 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 on how dowry shouldn't be expensive. And he said, what's wrong with you all women? You're charging so much or you know, whatnot. Immediately, uh, someone stood up from the crowd and said, where are you getting this from? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never put this type of restriction. And then Umar immediately apologized in front of the whole crowd and says, Alhamdulillah, Allah has put such people in my ummah who can correct Umar. Right? SubhanAllah. So Umar is known that if he was corrected, immediately he would change his tone. So that's, we are not in the position of Umar Khattab Number one, as a law enforcer. Number two, even Umar when he was giving one-on-one -on -one da'wah or giving a talk and if he, if he became um, harsh or someone thought he was being harsh and if he was reminded, immediately he, uh, he corrected himself. How to make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala your friend, right? So... The, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is the beloved? Allah says, قُلْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Say, if you love Allah, then follow Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ Allah will love you. 
Following Sunnah of Rasulullah will make you the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Following the Sunnah of the Prophet, reading a book of Sirah, not one book. Every day we should be reading a chapter from the Sirah of Rasulullah and trying to see how can this Sunnah come into my life. The book I just referred to in earlier in my talk, The Stories of the Sahaba by Shaykh Yusuf al-Kandil is an amazing book that's found, translated into English, Urdu as well. Right? Stories of Sahaba. It's just hadith after hadith about the qualities that the Sahaba had. If you and I get those qualities, we'll become the beloved of Allah. Um, if, are there situations when you could be a little or a lot more rough in da'wah? Da'wah, no, you can't be rough. Da'wah to a non-Muslim, absolutely not, right? In, 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 our, in, in this, we're not, we're not in a battlefield. When you are speaking to, when you are speaking to your own subordinates, say your own children, then of course there's a whole chapter about sternness with children. There's a whole chapter about sternness over the family. That's there. But why, why would we be stern and harsh with people who are not our subordinates? Instead with that, the way to go about doing that is continuously being kind and soft and explaining to them. How to go about uh, finding a good spouse in a halal manner? Um, you know, it depends what type of person is asking this question. If you are a person who has family and relatives in the area or in the country, one of the best ways is to have our male relatives, fem if you're a female asking or male asking, have our relatives, our parents, assist us, our group of friends to think, uh, to see what would be a, a good spot, what would be a good match. Um, eHarmony, you've heard of that website? Right? Okay. eHarmony.com. It's a very famous website. Is it still around or no longer? Gone? It's around. eHarmony was a very famous website. They said they used to have the number one most amount of, you know, marriages or most amount of relationships gone, going through that. So, about 15 years ago, I heard the CEO, I presume the CEO, on NPR. There was an interview Sunday morning, I was coming back from Chicago and I was listening to it on the NPR and I heard that, I, can't rem I can still remember somehow it was such profound uh, beneficial advice. And he was saying the reason why eHarmony is such a successful website is because they not only ask those people who are making a profile to, to answer questions about themselves, they require a few others like their friend or sibling to answer questions about, about this person who's looking to get into a relationship or marriage. And the, the idea was that the, human, you know, the human, human is not able to truly, he is not the best judge of himself. A person is not the best judge of himself. The people around you know you better than you know yourself. And so they were saying that many times a person says, I am this type of person and I want to marry that type of person. In reality, he's got it all wrong. You're not that type of person. The people around you know you better than you know yourself. So they said, this is the secret for the success of that website. So there you go. When you have your cousins, your family members, your classmates or friends looking on behalf of you, well, and what people say, oh, that's an arranged marriage. Believe it or not, that actually ends up becoming much more long-lasting and much better because those people know you better. I didn't say you can't meet that person or meet the person you want to get married to once and you know, have, a, have at least one good conversation with them, etc. No, you can do all that. We're not saying, we're not saying blindfold and get married. <laughs> right? No one's saying that. But the idea is to involve family and friends. Because they know you better than you know yourself. Ghayra, hmm? subhanAllah, that's a tough one. How to define ghayra? Right? Ghayra, some people translate this as jealousy. Right? But it's, it's just a word that doesn't, you can't find. A, haya and ghayra are two such words that it's hard to find the translation in English. Ghayra is this internal jealousy that comes within a person to defend the honor for someone. Like someone, if you were to see his mother being attacked, 
what would happen to him? Ghayra will come. If you'd see your spouse being attacked, Ghayra will come into you. Similarly, you need to feel Ghayra for Islam. Uh, what are the roles and responsibilities of the wife and husband within an Islamic marriage? Please explain it in detail. I, I didn't laugh. See, I didn't laugh. You can hear the crowd. Mashallah, this is a great question. No one's laughing about the question. The thing is, the fact that this is such an important question, he cannot answer in five minutes. It can't even answer one hour. This is why all of us who are married or unmarried, I humbly request you to please take a class on Islamic marriage and divorce. Please do so. Tafim program, we've been doing it for seven, eight years on the weekends. There's a course that we teach here called marriage and divorce. One of the best courses that out, uh, that's out there within the, our offerings. I request you to please take that course. And uh, there is Mufti Muhammad ibn Adam Kothiri came to Darussalam about five, six years ago. He did a whole weekend seminar, maybe 18, 20 hour long seminar on the fiqh of marriage and divorce. There is a healthy Muslim, what's that called? A healthy Muslim marriage book by Mufti Abdurrahman Magira. You can find it at the Darussalam bookstore here. So please definitely purchase books and listen to the lectures of the ulama on this topic. Uh, a very important topic. If we, tr if we gift, uh, if we gift a, just a text, tr uh, you know, uh, what you call, an Arabic Quran to a non-Muslim for da'wah should not be given. No. Iman as strong as a Sahaba by reading the stories of the Sahaba. Like I gave you the reference book to read. Number two, make sacrifices like the Sahaba. Bit by bit. Small, small. And keep that your goal, role model. And you'll see, inshallah, you and I will reach there one day. Okay, so there's, mashallah, a lot of questions here. Um, when, when did Musa al-Salam even know that he had a brother? As he was brought up and raised in the place, all these are then from there. Okay, so uh, the exact time and location, I'm, I'm not aware of that. When, uh, uh, you know, the Quran doesn't speak about that in books of tafsir that I prepared from, didn't mention that, but it might be. In that. We can take a look at that again, inshallah. Um, well, how do you, how, regarding family, how can you please both Allah and your parents when there's a lot of conflict between you and them? So... Um, the idea is, you know, don't bring the sharia upon your parents if this is a child who's asking, right? You follow the sharia in your own life. Your sharia demands from you, the sharia that dema demands from you to be respectful to them. So don't try to say, okay, you know, this is, this is what you got to do. Stop doing that. This is a big issue with youth today. They learn a little bit of deen and then they start passing fatwas on their parents. That the biggest fatwa against, uh, for you is that you don't pass a fatwa about your parents. The Quran says if your mom and dad are a mushrik, mushrik, there's no, most people here don't have mushrik parents, most people. Right? If you have a mushrik parent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even be with them super kind. Be super kind with them. Yes, don't, if they tell you to disobey Allah and make shirk, don't do that. But besides that, fulfill all their rights. So fulfill your rights of your parents and then try your best to fulfill the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you. You mentioned that you can pray to get Allah gives love and respect to those doing righteous acts. Nowadays, those who are doing wrong are popular. Popular in the eyes of who? Is the question. Do the awliya love these people? Do the sulaha love those people? No. Popularity is not everything. It's popularity in the correct sector. That's why they say that a sign of acceptance is a per, like a scholars for they say the sign of a scholarly acceptance if a scholar becomes beloved in the ulama circle first then becomes beloved in the general public. That's an interesting thing they say. So that, that we have to become beloved in the, in the eyes of the righteous and the pious, not just everyone. 
If a person, if you think your family member will break ties of kinship, are you allowed to go to weddings with music and dancing? You should go to a wedding of your close relative, give a gift card, greet them, share with them a few words, kindness, and when, that, when these type of things happen, you walk out. That's what it is. We, we, and if a person is from the very get-go that stuff is happening, then uh, you still go, give them the gift card, and, and, or whatever else you're taking for them, and thank them and everything. And then you don't make a big scene. Okay, I guess I'll go to a halal restaurant and eat my dinner. Quiet and abide, no one tell you to go. You're going for who? You're going for yourself. You're leaving for yourself. So don't make a point. Don't show anger at that time. This is not the time to bring the deen. It's too late, unfortunately. If you, want, if you know a wedding has come up about and it's going to be in a wrong manner, go to their house and try to explain to the people from beforehand. But let us not cause a scene on the day of. You'd rather not go. Uh, and if you have to go, uh, then as I said, if you're going to break ties of kinship, go do your thing. I know one, one person, mashallah, one scholar, he told me his own yani, sister, he did, you know, was, it was the real, you know, it happens. Scholar, people come out of families and their deen is not in the family. And they become a, a full scholar. He said, I couldn't go attend the marriage of my sister, but at the same time, she's my sister. He said, I stood outside the banquet hall the entire three hours. I greeted everyone, did all the khidmah and everything outside. Didn't go inside. But I stayed outside of the, the doors and took care of everything. You know, without people not even realizing. Because usually what happens? Family members always doing khidmah anyway. Right? So I'm not even realizing. He said, but I wanted to keep my distance. SubhanAllah. Look at how he did that in a, in a very, uh, in an awesome manner with wisdom. So these things you have to do with in a wise manner. Uh, when a person feels unmotivated, but he knows Islam is the right thing, what should you do? Make a point to attend the masjid as regularly as possible. This tafsir session, for example, or any of the Friday night's Bukhari dars, or Saturday morning Fajr session, even if Allah forbid, I'm just saying, if someone didn't pray a single salah today, still come. Your presence will hear in the masjid, especially in the dars of ilm and dhikr, will motivate you immensely. So just hold on to that. No matter how your day is going, how your week is going, hold on to one gathering a week and don't give up on that. How do we respectful and maintain adab with parents when adab was never present or taught while growing up? Parents are constantly taunting and aggressive. You see, you see why I get upset on these issues? Look at all these questions that are coming up. Right? SubhanAllah. May Allah have mercy on, on the ummah and allow the children and the parents both to learn the rights of each other and to be respectful. My, uh, it's, it's, it's whoever's asking, remember Musa salam's story is of difficulty. You don't have Fir'aun in your home. Yeah, you may talk, you're angry, you may say that, but that, you know that, that's not the case. Right? So meaning that's your door to Jannah. Having parents who are aggressive or harsh may be exactly how you're going to get to paradise. We're not praying all night to Hajjud, we're not fasting every day, are we? We've got a lot of mistakes and sins. But making sabr with difficult kids or difficult parents may be our pathway to Jannah. Inshallah, we will, we will conclude with dhikr. These questions, uh, it's great. We will continue to, if your, your question wasn't answered, this will hopefully motivate you to ask next week and to be present next week. All of you, inshallah, I request you to please come next week also and also invite another 5, 10 people. Say inshallah. And the, the, uh, the uh, previous, lecture, if previous talks, if you missed out, I request you to kind of listen to it so that you, you're caught up and you're following um, the whole storyline. Inshallah, tabarakah wa ta'ala.